You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. This being Halloween season, uh, I want to take the next few Sundays and talk about ghosts and demons and monsters. How does that sound? Sound like fun? <laughs> the Bible is actually full of stories about ghosts and demons and monsters. I don't know if you've read it, but uh, it is. Uh, and so, well, uh, you know, this 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 can be kind of interesting. Um, and we'll look at some of those stories here, spooky stories. I guess we'll call this series spooky stories. We've done something like this before, but today I want to I want to focus on demons and the demonic and how we might be able to understand that maybe differently than the way we were raised. I don't know about you, but I was raised with a particular understanding of demons and and the demonic. I was a good Pentecostal kid. And so demons were a big deal, were a big deal in my, my house, in my church growing up. And there tends to be three ways, three ways. We think of or can understand demons and the demonic. Uh, The first way is the way maybe we're all most familiar with, and that is the conservative view, right? That demons, evil spirits, Satan, these are real beings, you know, real existent entities somewhere in the spirit world. They have, you know, wills and they have desires. They have personalities, we're told. They even have names. These These are beings like us, basically. You know, they're creatures. They live in the spirit world. They're non-physical entities, but they can have physical effects on this world. They cause car accidents, illnesses. They can possess you and and, uh, make you do things. They could pick up like that cocktail table and throw it across the room, right? That's the conservative view of demons and the demonic. Um, Then there's the liberal view, which says, no, demons are not real. Come on, it's it's bunk. It's all projection. It's a misunderstanding of natural phenomena uh, and things like um, mental illness and um, like schizophrenia or psychosis or demons in the demonic or misunderstandings of cognitive, cognitive disorders or neurological disorders like, like epilepsy. When I was about 10 years old, I was playing tag in my front yard with uh, my neighborhood friends and it was turning evening. So it was getting darker out. And of course we were like running around and my friend Evan like ran headfirst into the maple tree in our front yard and knocked himself unconscious. But as he laid there on the ground, he started convulsing. You know, if you've ever seen somebody knocked unconscious like in a football game, quite often they don't just, or in boxing or whatever, they don't just lay there often just you know, motionless. They're like, their hands are doing weird stuff. You know, Um, there's a little bit of, you know, it's like an electrical storm in your brain. So anyway, Evan is like convulsing on the ground and I immediately think he's demon possessed because that's what I was taught to think. And so I run inside my house and I'm shouting, dad, dad, come quick. Evan's demon possessed because I knew my dad had the power to exercise demons, of course. And by the time my dad, like, comes outside with me, Evan is sitting up and is awake and is like woozy, but now no longer exhibiting demon possession. Uh, but that's how I understood. I remember this to this day, all of it, because it was like terrifying. 
for me. And some of you probably have similar stories growing up in the church. Have anybody here ever seen an exorcism in church? Jason, you have? Yeah. Um, you haven't lived until you see an exorcism. No, not really. But um, this is the conservative view, right? And the uh, you know, the, the liberal view says, no, none of this is, is real. Demons are all superstition and pseudoscience, pre-modern understandings of medical conditions. And to be clear, in general, I am totally in agreement with the liberal view, as I think many of you are as well. But I also think the liberal view is too quick to dismiss the idea of the demonic because I think there's something going on in the conservative view that actually actually and accurately describes certain aspects of our world. And this is called, this might be called the virtual view of the demonic. And it was espoused perhaps most prominently by the late great Paul Tillich, who was a Christian philosopher and theologian of the 20th century. And he was once asked by a psychotherapist in an interview, why do you still speak of demons and the demonic when everybody knows and you openly admit you don't believe in evil spirits, why do you still invoke this antiquated and superstitious language? <clears throat> Tillich responded, responded basically, I'm paraphrasing, he said, no, I, I think the language is still useful even though I don't believe in evil spirits because the idea of the demonic is actually an accurate way of describing these structures in our world that are larger than us, that are outside of us, that really aren't us per se individually, but that have this unseen power over us and, and entire institutions, often without us even being aware of it. It's like that verse in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our war, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers. Think of these principalities and powers, Tillich was saying, as, as being racism and sexism and homophobia, fascism, nationalism, and even religious fundamentalism. Even religious conservatism can be understood as a, as a, as a kind of demonic power, uh, a principality in power. It's really ironic how evangelicalism and, and conservative Christianity <clears throat> are actually quite demonic, even though they, they see themselves, of course, at, as at war with Satan, right, and antithetical to Satan and the demonic. They're really quite demonic in the way they function as these oppressive systems, that control people's minds, control entire institutions, that the you know it's that keep people ignorant and make otherwise good people say and do some pretty horrible stuff. It's like that old saying: without religion, good people would be good and bad people would be bad. But in order to make good people bad, you really need religion. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that before. Uh, and to be fair, that's a, that's a bit hyperbolic and not entirely fair. Obviously, as a pastor, I don't believe religion is intrinsically evil um, at all. Um, but there's an air of truth about this idea that religion is uniquely able, I don't know if you've noticed, but religion is uniquely able and capable of taking good people and making them do some pretty horrible things that they probably wouldn't do otherwise. It's, it's kind of this demonic power that exerts control over people. It's like an evil spirit that inhabits entire institutions. It's systemic, we would say. The, the demonic is systemic, and the systemic is demonic. And that's what Tillich was getting at. It's to talk about 
the demonic is actually kind of an accurate way of describing these these very powerful, in some ways, non-human forces in our world that absolutely exert control, that absolutely have, have a kind of life of their own, these systems. They kind of have a life of their own. Um, and they function at the level of the unconscious. They're invisible. They're hidden. But they are quite powerful, yes? These, these systemic principalities and powers, these so-called rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Um, so these things are not beings or people, but they're real dynamic forces that work through people like an evil spirit. They're virtual. I propose we should think of the demonic as real, but virtual in this sense. And interestingly, I think we find this virtual view in, the, in our scriptures, particularly in the book of Revelation, which is loaded with all this demonic imagery, right? Satan and his evil angels warring against the forces of God in the cosmic realm. You know, these we were told that there's beasts and dragons, these demonic figures, right? And all of this is a kind of cryptic and symbolic language for what? For Rome, right? The book of Revelation is full of all this demonic imagery that is really symbolic language for Rome and, and the Roman imperial cult and the Roman emperor himself back then probably was talking about Domitian and, and or Nero or both or Vespasian. But that's the language of the virtual, right? It's talking about these actual systemic monolithic systems of injustice and cruelty that govern the first and second century world and that were persecuting the church, literally persecuting the church killing Christians. So in a way, the virtual point of view of the demonic is quite biblical. Using the demonic to describe these hidden and unseen evil forces that govern our world, like, Ro like Roman imperialism did, is actually a very traditional Christian way of speaking. It's a powerful way of speaking to invoke the word demon and demonic. I find it quite powerful and in that way quite useful. Uh, also keep in mind the ancient authors of our sacred text, you know, they didn't have words like systemic, <laughs> like we do. They didn't have that category, but the systemic for them was demonic, and the demonic was systemic, particularly when it comes down to the book of Revelation. And I think both, both words, systemic and demonic, accurately describe these hidden power structures, both then and now. As I briefly mentioned a minute ago, I also think that the word demonic is an accurate way to describe the way so many of our close family members and friends, or old friends, have been totally captivated, totally captivated by these far-right conspiracy theories today. And um, to say that there is a kind of demonic influence or spell today over the hearts and minds of evangelicals in particular uh, to say that there are demons um, working in evangelicalism that go by the name of white supremacy, demons that go by the name of nationalism, I think this is actually an accurate way of putting it. I'm reminded of the old line from Baudelaire. You've heard this before. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was what? Yeah. Convincing the world that he doesn't exist, right? 
You've heard that line before. Well, the greatest, uh, you could put it this way, the greatest trick systemic injustice ever pulled was convincing the world that it doesn't exist. Think of how many people today deny the existence of systemic racism. Have you gotten into arguments with family and old friends about that? You know, that systemic racism is real? And they'll say, no, it's not. <laughs> doesn't exist, they say. Racism was stamped out in the 1960s, we're told, <laughs> or the 1970s, you know, after the civil rights movement. Look, we elected a black man to president a few years ago. There's no such thing as racism anymore, right? Systemic racism doesn't exist, we're told. It's a figment of our imagination. It's a projection, we're told, right? We're just making it up, which is really ironic because if anybody, if anybody should believe in and understand how such things work. It should be evangelicals because they already believe in these systemic evil forces called the fall of man and original sin. Have you heard of the fall of man before and the doctrine of original sin? It's, these, it's this idea that somehow the sins of our distant ancestors like Adam and Eve have been passed down to us, which is to say that we inherited not just their guilt, but their quote-unquote sin nature. We're told that when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed the world over to Satan and his minions. It's, it's like they gave the deed of the planet over to the devil. And this means that we're all subject to their influence and power over us now too, often in these unconscious and hidden ways. This is the doctrine of the fall, the doctrine of the of original sin. You are born into this system of evil. There's nothing you can do to resist it. And it influences you, it holds power over you. You sin and you don't even want to, we're told, because the, the system is evil. You have been born into this. You cannot resist it. The only thing that can set you free is, of course, the Lord. Therefore, everybody needs redemption and salvation. But the fall of man, original sin, we we're told it's all systemic. Just living and being born into it means that you are inherently corrupted by it. You cannot resist it. You are therefore in need of redemption and liberation. <laughs> Sound familiar? And yet these same people who believe all this tell us there's no such thing as systemic forms of racism, systemic forms of sexism. What is that, they say? I can't wrap my head around that, they say. And yet they believe quite quite well in other systemic forms, spiritual forms of systemic evil, I guess we could say. We're told to trace our sin back to Adam and Eve, but not trace it back to 1619, which was the date or the, the year when the first African slaves were brought here to North America, specifically in the colony of Virginia. So again, if anybody should believe in systemic racism and understand how it works as a principality in power, is it's, it's evangelicals. But the reason why they don't is obvious, right? They don't want to understand it because to do so would mean being forced to confront their demons of white supremacy, greed, nationalism, etc. The virtual understanding of the demonic basically means admitting that demons in hell absolutely exist. They are real but they are always of our own making. Hell is real. Demons are real, but they are always of our own making. We become demons and we create hell on earth for ourselves and others. 
in the ways that we choose to live. Frederick Douglass understood this perhaps better than anyone else. He was maybe the first one to point out how an otherworldly reading of the gospel is demonic. He was the first one to really talk about how this evangelical popular reading of the gospel really is a kind of demonic reading, meaning any reading of the gospel that values pietism over social justice and personal salvation and eternal life in heaven over liberation of the poor and oppressed in this life, that reading of the gospel is really a demonic reading. Such a reading is what he called slaveholder religion. He refused to call it Christianity, that Christianity that focuses more on the afterlife and the sweet by and by and in personal salvation more than liberation of the oppressed and care for the poor. He called it, he refused to call it Christianity. He called it slaveholder religion, but I think he would also agree that it essentially is a gospel of the demonic. In 1845, Frederick Douglass wrote this about that Christianity. The man who wields the blood-clotted whip during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. The man who robs me of my earnings at the end of each week meets me as a class leader on Sunday morning to show me the path to life and salvation. He who sells my sister for prostitution stands forth as the pious advocate of all purity. He who proclaims it a religious duty to read the Bible denies me the right of learning to read, end quote. In other words, any reading of the gospel that favors personal piety and personal salvation and eternal life in heaven over the liberation of the oppressed, over solidarity with the poor and the powerless, has turned the gospel into a demonic reading. It makes us, such a reading makes us devalue the plight of the poor and the powerless for the sake of glory on high, which is really a kind of selfishness and a kind of idolatry. And today it manifests itself in evangelicalism, in the rejection of the so-called social justice gospel and what they call woke Christianity. Any Christianity that favors the afterlife over this life and any Christianity that favors personal salvation over the liberation of the poor and the oppressed is in fact demonic. And we should just call it that. I think that's a great term for it. And this is the price we pay for having the windows open. <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. I want to finish and uh, transition into taking the Lord's Supper together by mentioning that the most prominent understanding of the cross in the first millennia of church history, the most prominent understanding of the cross in the early church and for the first thousand years was, was what scholars call the Christus Victor model of the atonement. Christus Victor is Latin for Christ the Victor. And it's this idea that at the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. You can find this in the throughout Paul's writings, this idea that at the cross and in his death and resurrection, Jesus overcame or defeated Satan and the cosmic forces of darkness that rule our world, in essence. Um, it's this idea that Jesus, like one king on a battlefield, defeated another, defeated the cosmic kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light, I guess you could say. Again, this was the most popular understanding of the cross, the most popular understanding of the atonement for the first 1,000 years of church history. 
And it was used to say that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we too have been granted victory and power and authority over the principalities and powers of this world. We too have the ability to cast out the demons, so to speak. Let's consider what that might mean as we receive the Lord's Supper today, which is symbolic of Christ's death and his victory over the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities of this world. Let's receive the Lord's Supper now. Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. go. It's working. Thank you, Bob. Okay, so uh, I don't know. Anybody want to talk about this today? Oh, Jason, I'm so glad. I looked, I don't know, I looked right at you. I feel like, well, because you, you raised your hand when I asked you if, uh, or asked everybody if they ever seen an exorcism before. Check with you. Hey, Bob, can we, uh, or actually, I'll just hand him this one. This one works better anyway. Yeah, I don't know if I want to talk about that experience, but Actually, I had three things. One, you're going to get me in trouble <clears throat> calling the church demonic. With... I'm going to get I'm going to get you in trouble. Yes, definitely. If why uh, so is your family going to listen to this sermon? Or? They already think I'm in a cult. So yeah, that's right. I remember your dad one time said when he came here, like, or that he said it's a matter of time until that guy, meaning me, is going to like make you worship him or something. Yeah, he still thinks I'm in a okay, cult. Okay, right, anyway. fair enough. Um, two. Uh, I think it's good to mention that the people who first brought slaves to the Americas were Christians, the Spanish Christians, English Christians, or the slavers. And I think that's the thing that really makes people not want to believe in systemic racism, et cetera, because it's, um, it's you, you know, it's your your culture that did that um it's not just colonists or Amer or future americans or europeans it's christians specifically that you know catholics that did that um and three speaking of original sin if you want to feel really bad about being a parent um look up i've been reading a little bit about epigenetic inheritance wait say that part again epigenetic inheritance which is, um, I guess it's a developing science. They haven't done enough studies on it yet, but it basically says that gene expression, one, changes based off of environmental factors or traumas or whatever. So like you get traumatized as a kid or whatever, you have too much pollution in your environment. Those things change the way your genes express themselves when you're a kid and you pass that on to your kids. That, ex that expression is inheritable. So yeah, all of the things that we have messed up in us, we can pass on to our kids and mess them up too. So thank you for that.
feel free to <laughs> feel free to feel guilty about reading when you read about all that stuff. Yeah. No, it's it's important to understand and know, frankly, so that we can do better. You know, um, truth sets us free. Um, yeah. No, I said a lot there, my friend. No, but it's it's uh, really well taken. Thank you for sharing that. You don't want to talk about your exorcism. I mean, I could tell were you, you about one, several. Were you the one that had uh, the demons cast out of? Um, no, okay. I was accused of having demons in me before. Well, but yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I didn't actually. Okay. I was not the subject of That's said fine. exorcism. All right. Um, good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Um, hope you don't get in too much trouble. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should hope that you do. It's okay. Uh, I'm, yeah. used, I'm used to it. It's so fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other thoughts, questions, remarks about the demonic today? or your experience therein, even stories are always fun to hear. Do you, do you like the virtual understanding? Does it work for you? Jason, I'm kind of curious about you as well. Like, I assume, I assume we're pretty much all liberals here in the way that we read these stories, but does the virtual make sense? Does it work? I don't know. Does the word, using the word demonic for yeah, systemic? Yeah. No, I, I don't like, I don't particularly yeah. like it. Yeah. It's adding superstition and magical thinking to something that is very easily understood. It easily it's a societal thing. Yeah. Yeah. It could be easily very, it, like if I, at Windsor, the assisted living home, I, the chaplain, if I spoke of the demonic, they're not going to be thinking of the systemic. They're going to be thinking literally of, you know, a, a guy with a red tail and a, and a pitchfork or what, you know, they'd be thinking of the being state. Yeah, and something outside of you. A systemic racism is you are part of your culture. You're part right. of the cause of it. It's demons are out there. They can take over you, and then but you're not blaming the person who's demon possessed. You're blaming this random demon out there that's doing those things. So it's it's an excuse. Yeah, yeah, it can be right, but I I think it's it is helpful sometimes for us to think about how just like so many of us came out of these deeply oppressive you know, ideas. I mean, there was a time where I was not affirming, right? There was a time where I was extremely fundamentalist and would tell people who aren't Christians, you're doomed and you're going to hell. And you know, I was supportive of that entire very oppressive world that I was a part of. In a sense, you could say that I was demon possessed in a virtual sense, you know what I mean? And I needed to be liberated. I needed to be set free. I need to be delivered. We would use, you know, the term deliverance, right? Um, because those ideas have that kind of unconscious, all, all consuming power over you. You don't even, you know, you don't, you're not even aware that you're deceived until you're not deceived, right? Hindsight's always 2020. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd be careful where I use that language demonic, you know, Max, yeah. Sorry. Just real quick, I was just going to get to a plug for, uh, this just reminds me, there's a good amount of literature on this. Uh, I think I'm thinking specifically Walter Wink and his work on principalities and powers, right? So that terminology we get in the New Testament that says like our battle is against principalities and powers. Um, and he kind of crafts the understanding that in some traditions, especially like Anabaptist traditions, Mennonite traditions, similar to what you're saying, the principalities and the powers are the systems of power right and the systems of oppression and that those can show up in anything right so they can show up you know personal you, you touched on some of this but 
if anyone wants to uh, dive further, he's really well respected for his work on that. Walter Wink. Is he Anabaptist? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's all. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Abe and, or Jen, then Abe. I think maybe a better word to use instead of demonic would just be evil. Because I do believe that there's this evil. Um, does it come from a demon? I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> and then when I know when I was a kid, my dad would always say, there is no such things as ghosts, but there are demons. <laughs> and I, I believe the opposite now, but I just thought that was a, that's what I thought of when, yeah. when you my, talked about your, oh, my dad would have said the same thing. No, no such thing as ghosts, but there's angels and demons. Um, um, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, Abe. Uh, I have another recommendation. Uh, <laughs> you have another what? A book recommendation. I have been reading uh, Dostoevsky's Demons, uh, which uh, thematically is very much uh, in line with this whole sermon. Uh, it's it's uh, written, it's about a sort of little town that is sort of uh, taken over by all sorts of crazy revolutionary ideas, um, and uh, it's just sort of the, the kind of uh, breakdown uh, uh, in microcosm of this little of this little town. But, you know, it's more about all of these different um, revolutionary ideas that were, you know, kind of uh brewing in in europe and, and in russia at the time this is the sort of late 19th century uh but it's uh, very interesting because he he specifically uses this same metaphor uh the, the, it's a quote from uh a passage from i think it's matthew uh of jesus casting the demons out of the um possessed man into the, the pigs. Uh, the Gerasene demoniac story. Yeah, that's yeah. in Ma Matthew, I think. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, he opens the, uh, the, the novel with uh, that sort of passage and specifically kind of plays with that whole metaphor. Uh, although it's very interesting because the title has been translated as uh, more recently as demons, but formerly as the possessed, you know? And so there's a little bit of ambiguity over who to who the title refers to uh, to the people whose minds are sort of taken over by these ideas, or the people that are the purveyors of these ideas, or the you know the sort of the, the demons themselves, you know, and and uh, it, it's translated as demons because uh, you know it's kind of thought that he's more referencing that. In other words, the the, the human beings who are. Uh, um, really the agents uh, of these ideas um, who are actively um, convincing people that they're right and using their sort of, you know, belief in these notions uh, to their own ends, which are almost always about power and about uh, uh, wielding power over as many other human beings as they, as they can, you know, and that is their only, seemingly their only goal. And uh, so it's it's really interesting. It's in the context of obviously sort of a lot of these uh, social ideas that really, you know, one of which became kind of uh, the, uh, you know, sort of Bolshevik communism. Um, but there were a lot of different kind of competing notions of, 
uh, socialism and all that kind of thing at that time in, in Russia. But anyway, it's very interesting. So, uh, but it was kind of odd to, to hear the sermon this morning because it's just 100% completely thematically uh, linked to this to this novel. It's interesting. I'd never heard of uh, that novel. I've heard of Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky before, obviously. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, th these ideas aren't new. I mean, again, look at the book of Revelation. It takes the demonic imagery and it's obviously talking about Rome obviously talking about the, the existent rulers and authorities, principalities and powers, and putting them in the demonic framework and quite well, you know? I mean, it's really, really good. I mean, Book of Revelation is amazing um, for that and other reasons. But, you know, that was the early church. The early church, you know, understood it that way, at least to some level. And it makes sense. Um, you know, th there's this idea of the demonic that is, of course, inhuman, right? And I think that plays into this idea that when we allow ourselves to personify these violent and evil ideas that we're, where we embody that, we be kind of come something less than fully human. And I think talking about the demonic in that way is also quite powerful, that there is a way that we can become less human. And it is, of course, by, you know, unjustly harming each other and, and basically uh, exemplifying and embodying ignorance and bigotry. I mean, let's be honest, that is a way of debasing ourselves and debasing others and taking on this demonic personality. You know, the demonic is inhuman and we absolutely can become inhuman. And so I, and so I still, you know, in this context here, I think, you know, thinking about the demonic and particularly in, in the context of Christianity, you know, that's how it was understood. And I think that there's some, there's so much interesting and complex things going on there. You know, it's almost like their language of the psychological. It was a way that they understood the systematic, the systemic and the psychological. Um, I'm thinking also, I'm reminded of the, uh, the hit series, The Haunting of Hill House. Abe, you saw that series. I know some of, uh, I'm going to probably uh, ruin it here. <laughs> but Basically, if you watch it to the end, you realize that the story is about the brokenness in this family, right? Isn't that kind of the underlying motif and message that the spirits, the evil spirits that haunted that house and haunted their lives? And this is a common trope in a lot of horror films. If you watch, you know, I could think of The Babadook is another one. If you saw The Babadook, Max, you're nodding, right? That's about the unhealed grief of this woman over the loss of her husband that haunts her and her children and terrorizes them. You know, we human beings, we've always personified the demonic in these ways, but really we're talking about ourselves and, the, and we're talking about the unconscious and hidden ways that evil functions in our society, in our lives. And I think that's really powerful. And um, I think the more that we can take that seriously and uncover that, um, the more discerning of the spirits will be, so to speak, well, the more we'll see the brokenness in, in our world and in ourselves. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, truth is power, right? But um, anyway, you, we'll, we'll be exploring these themes for the next few weeks, you know. Um, but yeah, that's really good stuff. Anybody else have something they want to share? Hey, Aaron, it's Emily. Hey, Emily. Go hey. ahead. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, the evil, which I agree with Jen and, like, that whole evil situation, because the evil that causes you to weaponize the Bible against your family members or... Um, your religion that makes you think you're better than other people, the religion that causes you, like you said in the sermon, to 
um, side with the oppressor instead of the oppressed. And um, it's just all, it makes me think of like the road less traveled or the narrow path, because anything that's like a mega church is not the road less traveled. It's not, it, they're not in the narrow path, you know what I mean? And, but they speak like they are those people. And so there's just a lot of arrogance. There's a lot of like, that's what I think is the evil. Like you said, the selfishness, the individualism, like that to me is, and, and the, the liturgy that Bob read, like, that's what I think the root of Christianity is, is always being a part of the community and caring for the person next to you and your neighbors and, you know, accepting everyone. And that to me speaks love rather than the other, which speaks hate. And and it seems um, obvious, (laughs) you know what I mean? But it's obviously not. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Yep. I mean, I grew up um, with a father who was, I didn't know this until I was in my twenties, but I mean, he suffers from mental illness. He suffers from psychosis, something like that. Obviously I'm not a physician. I can't diagnose it, but he absolutely believed in the demonic and believed demons were literally everywhere and anything that bad bad happened was demonic and we were raised to in you know utter terror constantly of you know demons out to get us i could tell you story after story and you know growing up like that i when i became an adult i had to come to terms with the fact the only demon that was actually real in that house was him all of this was a projection of his own deep-seated brokenness and anxieties and fears that he projected and then drew us all in. And, you know, I think so often that's kind of the case as you were talking, Emily, you know, um, coming to terms with how um, that's personified in those that we think are the opposite of that as Christians. Yeah. Anyway, but anybody else have something they want to share today? All right. Well, good stuff. We'll continue with spooky stories next week. And uh, let's finish with our benediction here. As we go from this place, let's say this together. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Thanks for being everybody. And for those of you who tuned in via Zoom, and we'll see you again soon.